Welcome to the LCAL, a low-carb ancestral living podcast. I'm your host, Pim Dalton, and each week I'm bringing you new guests who will share their opinions and expertise on different topics related to health and well-being. Enjoy! Hi and welcome to LCAL Low Carb Ancestral Living with Pim Johnson. Today I have a guest with me who was here about two years ago and I think you'll probably recognize her. Her name is Sally K. Norton and she's known wide and far for her knowledge in, about oxalates and how to heal from oxalate poisoning and how she's helping people do that. So if you want to hear Sally's story and how she got into this, I will link to that video because that was we talked about that in the previous interview. But today I want to kind of go back a little bit to the basics and just look at what's happening, what it can look like and what you should look at for. And we'll just see where it goes. Maybe she thinks that my questions are not comprehensive enough. I will want to explain things that I haven't thought about. So I'm, I'm just going to give you the floor and let you do what you want to do because you know this area so much better than I do. So welcome back, Sally. It's nice to be with you again. Thank you. Yeah. So did you, did you have any thoughts after our last talk that like put new, new ideas in your head? Yeah. So we did go into a lot of specifics and I want to follow up, follow up on some of those, but before that, if we can maybe just have a look at, you know, go back to just looking at what, you know, I, I know we talked about it a bit, but what oxalates are and why they exist. And if there is actually a benefit to us eating them, because a lot of people are talking about hormesis and it might be good. But is there actually something with oxalates that could be good for us or is it all just bad? Yeah, well, the total connection between oxalates, which is a family of compounds that come from oxalic acid, and our connection to our overall health and long-term health and longevity and vulnerability to chronic diseases is not really well studied. Most of the research on oxalates in human health have to do with kidney stones because oxalate comes from an acid called oxalic acid. So it often exists as an acid, which is an ion, which is something that dissolves in water. So it's a water-soluble, tiny chemical. It's, it's just got two carbon molecules in it and four oxygens and a proton or a hydrogen molecule. So it's a very little acid ion. Ion meaning that it has a charge. It's polar, if you know chemistry, so that's why it, it dissolves in water. And it can connect because of the charge with positively charged items, often metals like calcium and magnesium, iron, copper, and so on. And then if they collect, they form these crystals like salt. So it's called a salt. So then we call it oxalate is a chemical term for salts. So oxalates are acids, a couple kinds of acids that it makes, so either one or two negative charges on it. So there's oxalic acids and then there's oxalate salts. And some of those salts form with compounds that have a really strong double charge that have a tighter bond. If it's a molecule like a sodium or a potassium with a single positive charge, it has a softer connection that dissolves more easily in water. So oxalates come as acid or crystals and it also comes as either soluble that easily dissolves or an insoluble that doesn't dissolve easily. 
So that's why we say oxalates plural, because this one oxalic acid can be different things at different times and usually comes in a mixed form. So we eat it in foods because plants make it. And so does it, it. other parts of nature make a lot of oxalic acid, which often turns into calcium oxalate, which is the oxalate that is your typical calcification, like a kidney stone is primarily made of calcium oxalate. And the kidney stone is a very obvious problem to have if it's stuck and causing a backup of urine, it becomes very painful and you end up in the emergency room and it's hard to ignore that. <laughs> the other crystals that can form in the body can occur in glands, bones and bone marrow and tendons and connective tissue and can really mess up tissues because it's a it's a reactive chemical. Acids drop acid, affect other chemicals, and grab minerals and change our mineral status, can steal calcium, iron, magnesium, and so on out of the body. And then it forms these, wherever it gets, it tends to, you know, it's dissolved as an ion in the blood and the fluids. But if it's around a lot of cell debris, because of old cells dying or injury, bruises, infection, inflammation, cell debris causes this what we call precipitation where the dissolved oxalate starts to become crystals, precipitates into crystals around these places in our body that have wear and tear and dying cells because there's extra cell debris, the proteins there and the vacuoles and the, the little parts of dead and dying cells create an environment where the oxalic acid turns into precipitating crystal oxalate. So it starts off as nanocrystals, very invisible, can't see them. They can be anywhere and all over the place. And this nanocrystal stuff really messes up membranes. So does the acid, messes up mitochondria, very oxidative, a lot of stress and, and inflammation can occur because nanoparticles of contaminants, basically nanocontaminant particle it's like having asbestosis or some really bad disease when you've got you know, precipitating nanocrystals in your body. So the immune system tries to protect us from them, can cloak them, wrap them up in dead DNA and dead cells. So you don't necessarily get symptoms in the short run from these crystals forming in the body. But ultimately, if we eat a lot of oxalic acid, over time, we start filling up with crystal deposits eventually. Some people get kidney stones, a lot of us don't. We end up with things like arthritis and low thyroid and eventually osteoporosis, things like that. So is there any benefit to actually eating oxalates at all that you know of? Any benefit to oxalates? The body, the only thing in the literature that suggests that body can use oxalate for some protective function is that the saliva glands concentrate oxalate. So however much is in your blood, your saliva will have 10 or even 40 times the amount of oxalate in the saliva. And that can form a tartar on the teeth and that can be a seal on your teeth and actually protect it, even though it might be borrowing calcium from the saliva or even from the teeth. Once you got calcium oxalate deposits on the teeth, that is sort of sealing it away from acids. So yeah, if you leave the tartar on your teeth from your oxalate problem, you might protect your teeth. But other than that, you don't need or outside oxalate. You don't need to eat oxalate for benefits because the body produces some oxalate in the liver 
maybe the red blood cells, maybe even the kidneys, produce a little tiny bit of oxalic acid by converting um, connective tissue proteins and vitamin C. So vitamin C is not an internal compound. It's one you have to eat. We don't make it. That's why it's an essential nutrient because you have to eat it to have it. And if you have too much vitamin C, that turns into oxalic acid in the body too and can cause crystallization. The same problems, whether it comes from the food directly or from the vitamin C that you're eating, it's the same oxalate, basically. So that's very interesting because a lot of health professionals recommend megadosing on vitamin C for various reasons and maybe if you are you know very sick you have cancer etc they recommend that you do iv vitamin c would it you know is, is it a really bad idea for most people i think it, it probably is a bad idea i think that even though it's well entrenched in naturopathy to use vitamin c as a therapeutic agent and mega dosing it and using it to bowel tolerance and then going on the ivs i think really there's probably better ways to achieve the end results you're looking for. So it may have been a tool that seems to work at times for people, but it is not an ideal tool because it has this side effect of causing oxalate crystal deposits in the body. I had vitamin C IVs back when I believed in them mm-hmm. <laughs> and it read like there's thousands of articles that say, Oh, you can fix cancer with vitamin C. Like it's, there's seems like a substantial literature. So it's easy to believe in it. Uh, And my experience was that it didn't help the problem I was trying to fix, which was adrenal fatigue and all this other problems I had. But it did eventually end up causing roly, ropey, sinewy, hard to um, puncture veins where it was hard for me to give blood for blood tests because they would always miss it now because it became fibrotic. So it caused fibrosis in my veins and... One one point when I was doing these IVs at the doctor's office, the needle she inserted into my arm snapped in two. And at the time, I thought, well, boy, my veins are made of titanium. But probably (laughs) what it was is hitting an oxalate crystal in my vein that had formed a fibrotic mess around it. So it was really solidly placed with fibrosis. And that crystal is harder than your teeth. It's like glass, harder apparently than a needle and snapped the needle in two because the same nurse had been doing these IVs for many months. And there's only so many places she likes to go. So she probably went into a very similar spot, very close where she had gone before and hit a crystal that had formed from the IV, you know, bringing vitamin C right there in a spot where you injure the tissue. So there's cell debris instantly that the right away you can start precipitating out oxalate in these little injuries caused by the needle. Yeah. That's scary. (laughs) Snap the needle thanks to my vitamin C IVs. My veins are much easier now to to puncture. They, They mostly have recovered from that fibrosis, but I've been avoiding eating oxalate for eight and a half years, so... Good on you. So can you just name the major foods that we should avoid if we want to avoid oxalates, like common foods that are very high in oxalates that people like eating? It's not a very long list, but they're popular foods. And Hmm. it includes the three popular dark leafy greens, just three greens though, spinach, chard, and beet greens. 
And then sorrel. Some countries eat sorrel. Here in the U.S., very few people bother with sorrel. It's kind of a chef kind of fancy food, but people don't tend to. It's not in the stores here. Uh, so there's just three grains. And then there's this whole family of like non-gluten grains like buckwheat, quinoa, teff. They're really high in oxalate. So if you're going on a gluten-free diet, they're really high. Then the nuts are, most of the nuts are really high. Almonds, cashews, peanuts are the worst three because peanuts and almonds have very bioavailable oxalate, meaning a lot of that oxalic acid gets into your blood. And uh, cashews are also very high. Brazil nuts are pretty high. You know, hazelnuts are pretty high. So nuts as a group are kind of trouble, which makes sense because the nut is the baby of the tree. The tree, plants defend their seeds and they put oxalic acid and crystals in these baby seeds for lots of reasons. One of them is self-defense, hard protection on the outside, and a way to store calcium. So the seed will have calcium later. It says oxalate calcium oxalate often and yet it's very bioavailable and very soluble even though a lot of it is calcium oxalate which is there's a lot of interesting questions about how that could be but that's the fact of the nature so another seed that's famously got oxalate crystals in it is the raspberry seed and and black raspberries are really high kiwi is really high kiwi is one of those foods that makes crystals in a in a toothpick shape it's designed as an arrow a double-pointed weapon that the plant uses to get at the the caterpillars and the bugs and stuff who try to eat their leaves or their fruit and they're actually in the kiwi fruit right around the seed so additional oxalate crystals can be positioned near the seeds to defend the seeds because plants have to defend their babies because everybody's trying to eat them and they don't have any other way to do it. So they have micro weaponry and this acid and these little glass shards that are designed to discourage the herbivores and the bugs. And they also use oxalic acid to kill funguses on their surface of their leaves. So there's those raspberries, figs, kiwi, star fruit. There is uh, most of the beans, the Black beans are really high in oxalate. The white beans are really high in oxalate. And what else? What am I forgetting? Bran, whole grains, whole wheat. All the brands are pretty high in oxalate, especially like rice bran and wheat bran. And then... What, what about sweet potatoes? Oh, how could I forget them? <laughs> <laughs> sweet potatoes and baking potatoes, those big, like what we call Idaho potatoes here in the U.S. that are used for French fries, potato chips, and baked potatoes, and like these tater tot things we serve at lunchtime in school here. They are really high in oxalate. So, yeah, sweet potatoes is one of the ways I injured my health. When I oh, quit being a vegan, I couldn't eat wheat and beans, and I couldn't I didn't have much starch anymore, so I started eating sweet potatoes. It's like my bread. I would have sweet potatoes for breakfast every day. I also like to eat Swiss chard a couple nights a week, and that was enough to really take me from bad to worse. Hmm. Yeah. Is there a difference between different sweet potatoes? Because we have like we have the orange ones, then we have the purple ones with purple flesh, and then we have the purple ones with white flesh. Is there one of those that is slightly better? I don't know that anyone's tested the white fleshed ones, but the purple fleshed ones are way worse than the orange ones, and the orange ones are bad enough. So 
And they use the purple ones in these chips. Like there's a company that does these Terra chips that has the purple sweet potatoes and the orange sweet potatoes. And cassava is another one that's a high oxalate plant that is now being promoted as a snack food. And you can get cassava chips sprinkled with chocolate, which is one of the ones I forgot to mention. (laughs) Chocolate is very high in bioavailable oxalate, easily absorbed, easily used in a research study to measure how it's getting into your blood and getting into your urine after you eat chocolate. So there's plenty of studies that show just even a tablespoon of cocoa powder that you would use to make hot cocoa is enough to really, really spike the oxalate in your blood and your urine. Just a simple mild short cup of cocoa i mean a tablespoon you might even add that to coffee and call it mocha coffee so yeah these foods there aren't that many but they're pretty popular right now yeah my favorite is the the white fleshed uh, sweet potato and i was like please say that i used to love it. them <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we had a farmer and we have really nice farmers market near us where we lived last home when we had and we used to walk there on saturdays and this one guy he sort of took credit for white sweet potatoes as if he invented them. He was funny. <laughs> and we, I love them. Yeah. And I thought sweet potatoes were this low allergy food. And I was on this low allergy diet because I was avoiding all the legumes, which were bothering me clearly causing skin problems and avoiding the whole wheat and the bread, which was causing me a lot of fatigue and brain fog. And it turns out my real big problem was that my poor gut and immune system were being destroyed by this high oxalate diet that i've been doing since i was young yeah yeah is there a way that we can reduce the oxalates from the food when we prepare them like sprouting or you know pre-boiling throwing away the water that kind of thing well it's very food specific the effect of the process that you're doing and whether it's going to help or not but generally with the seed things like nuts if you soak the nuts long enough, like for at least 24 hours, you begin a germination process and that's good. You get rid of phytates. But what you're doing with germination is you're releasing oxalic acid so you can use the calcium from the calcium oxalate to build amino acids so you can build the sprout. So what you're doing is you're making it more acid and less oxalate crystals. So it's almost getting it worse. So if you soak the nuts, you've got more bioavailable acid that easily gets into the blood because the crystals that you're eating, you don't absorb them in your blood. They just, it's like eating ground sandpaper, ground glass shreds. You just irritate your body, your intestinal tract, but it doesn't get in your blood. The crystals that are in your body formed after the acid found minerals in your blood or tissues and then started marrying the minerals and turning into crystals so it's not that the crystals that you eat in the kiwi get lodged into your thyroid gland it's that those crystals in the kiwi irritate your gut and then the acid becomes crystals later on and some people get confused about that so i thought i would try to spell that out a little bit so what are the best plant foods that you can eat that are very low in oxalates if someone wants to you know, eat a low oxalate. Well, plant. none of the animal foods have much oxalate in them. Although I guess tuna has a little bit because the the just okay. the mist, the energy of the sunlight and the mist in the air forms some oxalic acid in the ocean. So, and certain probably ocean plants produce a little bit of oxalate. So it seems that 
Tuna might have a trace of oxalate, but you don't need a lot of tuna anyway because you have to limit your mercury exposure. So if you're being responsible with tuna and eating it twice a month or whatever, it's not a big deal from oxalate. It's not very high, nothing compared to these very high oxalate foods we just talked about. So anything that's from a cow, another animal, a chicken, whatever, animal foods, even the liver of these animals is not high in oxalate. So if you see a list that says liver is high or some some meat is high in oxalate, it's got it's a mistake that's not correct. So that's one thing. Like it's all the plant foods that tend to have oxalate. And the ones that are low are all the lettuces are low, all the cabbage family vegetables for the most part are low. And that includes mustard greens, turnip greens, arugula, watercress is low, turnips rutabaga, swedes, um, radishes, you know, those are all cabbage family and they're very low. Cauliflower, broccoli, low in oxalate. The, um, the red skin potatoes, the new potatoes test out really low. So if you still want to eat potatoes, there is an option there, but mostly you have to home prepare them to select the variety. So a good diet always means you got to think about your ingredients and mostly cook at home. So that's an example with the potatoes. What else is low? Rice, white rice, the the refined grains like white rice are pretty low. And several fruits are low enough. All the curcubits, which is melons, all the melons and cucumbers and the most of the winter squashes are pretty low in oxalate. So that's spaghetti squash, Hubbard, you know, there's lots of them. Um, you know, so there's lists, and it's important to get it straight on what's high and low because a lot of the lists online have mistakes in them, and they're very short. So it's like, wait, what about this food? What about this food? Well, it's not on that list. And also the lists don't agree because there's a lot of mistakes. There's been sloppiness in the, the actual analysis process, sloppiness in handling the data, the the people who do the analysis of food often don't indicate which variety they've tested. So we don't know which potato, which apple, which kind of carrot, you know. And so there's really vague and mushiness in the data. And then when people handle the data and try to put it together into a list, they make mistakes. Even in the medical literature, you can make a decimal point error really easily or your table doesn't match what you said in the text. And like, well, what is it in terms of content? So there's a lot of bad information online. I'm going to be having a new um, product available on my website that has vetted data that's more carefully presented, more carefully reviewed and checked uh, so that you can get a list that's pretty reliable. It's as reliable as the original sources were, but I've gone back to the original sources to try to validate them, unlike most people who don't. So if there was a mistake in the last person who, who said it came from so-and-so, I just go back to the so-and-so and find out the original ones because there is some confusion. But you really don't need that fine-grained data, especially in the first several months trying to do this diet. You just need a simple list, which are the really high ones, which are with the known foods that are reliably low in oxalate. And I have that list in my beginner's guide on my website, which has the general tips and a graph and that's a good enough place to start because really if you start getting rid of your almond habit or your sweet potato thing or your french fry thing or your dark chocolate thing, you can really start feeling better. Excellent. So on that note, um, I wanted to talk about you know, the symptoms and what that could look like. And I know I've 
I've even wondered. So I did um, a 90-day carnival experience at uh, th- the start of this year, and I didn't feel great, I must say. And I had a lot of arthritis in my neck, which I can have on and off otherwise, but it was just like constantly there and headaches for over three weeks in a row <clears throat> with an occasional migraine. And I had all these little like whiteheads on my legs and I couldn't find any crystals in there, but could that be oxalates? Could, and also some fungal infections going on in weird places that I've never had problems with before, like my armpits, for example. So there were lots of things going on and I have no so clue what was going on. <laughs> yeah, so what you're saying is you went on a zero plant diet, right? So you took off, you went down to zero... Carnivore. Yeah, I had some yeah, basil so that's and like parsley. Yeah, so practically zero oxalate, and you did that for a while, and then weird stuff started getting wor- new or worse or something. And the arthritis yeah. is interesting that that's the first one that you notice because often arthritis oh, yes. is well noticed while while you're building up the problem, not just when you're releasing the problem. So just to clarify for our listeners is that once you change from filling up your body with nanocrystals and microcrystals and whatever tissues, and then you stop eating it, the body gets to work and tries to get rid of this stuff. And it does take a very long time for the, to get it out of all the tendons and glands and bones and, you know, your discs in your spine and the stuff on your head and wherever out of your eyeballs and the eye tissues. So that takes a while, maybe 10, maybe 15 years. We don't really know because there hasn't been long-term studies. There's just a few case studies of people with a genetic form of this disease. But we know from real people and the network of working with our clients and working with groups online that it takes a long time. And we know that there's this phenomenon where very consistently, when it starts is very different for people, but sometimes it's as quick as five days. You really change your diet significant way and within five days you might get a big red rash. And that's the immune system going after this crystal problem and it's showing up in the skin. Now what you're saying is you had arthritis in the neck. That suggests that there's inflammation there and the, the immune system is coming in to drill out these little crystals that are hanging around in the ligaments and the tendons and maybe even the bones. Although if it's early on, I'm suspecting it may not be the bones yet. We may have some more years to go on that. Headaches, really common to get headaches because you get a lot of neuroinflammation. Oxalate is a nerve toxin and the brain does not like it. And some people get headaches, other people get anxiety, other people get depression, they get very demoralized, they get very negative in their thinking, and they feel really despondent, or they just like have no motivation anymore in life. They're like so flat, they can't get excited about the things that they're doing with their life, and they're just like, oh, and they're really even unmotivated to like solve the problem. What do I do now that I have oxalate inspired neurotoxicity? How do I handle this? Like you can't even think well. So it's not too unusual to get headaches or migraines or something like that. And then skin stuff, all kinds of stuff might show up on the surface of the skin. And some people are really prone to this and do this in a big dramatic way that lasts a while. I didn't get a lot of that, but I hear from my clients and followers about at least five different ways this can show up. The little white heads are one of them. More often it's like red rashes or, or, you know, like pimply things that are red instead of white or boils that actually push out crystals. 
Other people get this white dust shedding off their body. And one woman, she says it's been two and a half years. She's still got this white dust coming off her body, leaving dust on the sheets. And she's like, she says, I'm like pig pen. I have this like cloud of junk. And I've just heard that from two more people. So I've heard that from easily a half dozen people. But one woman, she's been at it really. She has really got a big load of oxalate. So having stuff on the skin, that's pretty common. And this fungal infection thing, not just fungal infections, but all kinds of things. You can get cold sores. You can get something that looks like athlete's foot. This fungal stuff. The body often has these crystals in places where old infectious agents were in the body because it ends up precipitating around infection, inflammation, and damage. So where you've got infection, inflammation, or damage, you've got crystals. So in the crystals might be these old funguses. And they can start coming out and expressing as a fungal disease. And it's usually pretty mild. Usually you can use coconut oil, tea tree oil, really simple, natural stuff, and it resolves pretty easily. And, and interestingly, a low oxalate diet, in many cases in my personal experience with my clients and followers, has cured Lyme's disease, Epstein-Barr disease, serious colonic infection, C. diff. Uh, these infections get stuck in the body when you're poisoning yourself with too much oxalate from your spinach smoothies because it's literally damaging the immune system and the immune cells. So after every meal, after every meal, the cells in your blood, which includes the white blood cells that come deal with your infections, get damaged. So as long as you're eating a high oxalate diet once a day, three times a day, six times a day, whatever you're doing, uh, your, your body's ability to handle, to fight infection is weakened. And so when you finally stop eating it and the body now turns around and tries to get rid of these crystals it's also shedding some of these old infections so it can be really interesting dramatic uh disturbing <laughs> experience yeah it was just weird the thing so how is it like... going with you and like the fungus in the axial area and all that uh, I, I used some dilute um, iodine in my armpits and it disappeared after a few days so that was easy to take care of as you said it wasn't a problem yep. i also had um some vaginal fungus going on just like a week before that so there was clearly something going on everywhere um so that has cleared up as well um but i started eating carbs again so i started doing a cyclical ketogenic diet because i know that that has always been working for me and that i i did have and i was going to ask you about that as well but that cleared up my headaches mostly but I had, I was very, after about six, seven weeks, I just got into this state where I just had to sleep all the time. I, I was crashing and I had, I was so exhausted and I just sleepy. <laughs> like I could go to bed, have a three hour nap and then sleep at night. And that's not like me. So see, something is definitely going on there. So I wanted to kind of ask you about that. But we can talk about it later, about how if you have found out anything more about how that, you know, the oxalates affect your mitochondria and if that is maybe what could be going on and how you're doing with that. Because you said you were doing a lot better when we talked last time, but still you had some carbs in your diet because otherwise you would get very tired. So 
Yeah, right? sorry, I forgot what you actually asked. <laughs> I just went on a rant. I think well, it was just, just about know, the fungus. How all this is going with like, you're now experiencing the, I've changed my diet in a way that's eliminated oxalates. And now this mm. obvious response to this different diet and oxalate is the only thing that's explaining this. And it consistently explains it. When people change to a low oxalate diet, it doesn't have to be a carnivore diet. It can be a vegetarian low oxalate diet. And they still get these same kind of responses, which can include gout flares and all this stuff. And you have to know about this so you can reassure yourself or come to one of us that are, are doing this too and reassure you, no, this is normal. This is your. This is what healing looks like. Healing can be kind of a weird trip and it can involve like, gout for one day or gout for two weeks but it will resolve you don't have to keep adding medication and keep treating things and keep getting scans and x-rays and all this like if these symptoms start coming up after you change your low oxide diet and it becomes obvious to you that you're going to be going through this clearing you're going to be going cycling through symptoms this exhaustion is part of the deal it takes so much energy to clear out oxalate, sometimes you'll even know right before you go through one of these cycles where the body starts releasing more oxalate, which seems to happen in circadian cycles or other kinds of cycles that you might get enough of a pattern, you can kind of go, oh, and if you go through this enough times, you'll start to notice the signs like I could be heading into one of these cycles. For me, if I feel really, really awesome, like I'm on top of the world, I know what I want to do in life, what I want to get done today, I'm organized in my head, I feel unpressed about it, I feel unstressed about it. If I feel like that, I'm going to be in trouble within a couple of days. I know I'm Uh-oh. heading into, like, there's this moment of peace and awesomeness where the whole body settles down, it's not inflamed, and it's like, I guess it's like a little nap for the immune system, and then it's going to come back on and it's going to do this drama thing and mm-hmm. oftentimes you might get this time where you suddenly have a spike in hunger the appetite picks up and you're like oh this looks delicious i think i'll eat this you know like you're so hungry <laughs> you'll eat anything and that is one of these signs for some of us like okay the body is ready for a big work project this is think of it like paving the roads or building a bridge like there's a big public works project going on in your neck today and it's exhausting work it's like your system has to have downtime you have to lower the traffic or stop people from using that bridge for a while and send them to bed instead and so a nap is a great way to heal because when we're sleeping that's when the janitors come out and do our repair and, and the workmen come out and fix us up so sleep is good if you're really sick with all these arthritis, inflammatory conditions, if you've had kidney stones, if you've had gut problems and oxalates are behind all this, you can expect you're going to have days where you need to be going, mm, I think I'll cancel that whatever and go take a nap. <laughs> or I think I won't host the family reunion this year because I'm just not up for it. You, you do need to leave time in your life to heal. Yeah. Yeah, I think I needed two, three hours nap every other day, pretty much. And I was like, I can't take this anymore because I don't, I don't get anything done. My brain isn't working properly. I, just trying to think yep. made me really tired, <laughs> which is very strange. Like totally depleted straight away. So that's why I went back to a cyclical ketogenic diet. And it took probably a month before I started to feel less exhausted i didn't need the naps necessarily but still just this exhaustion 
constantly. And now I'm feeling pretty good again, but I'm having some rice, some blueberries, some sweet potatoes in my diet. Well, a little bit of sweet potato, if you're eating like less than a half a cup, that's perfect because what you're doing with that is adding in some oxalate and that tells the body, hey, wait, because my theory on how this works is that historically the body did this clean out every winter when when plant foods were no longer available and we were living on fish and bison and you know whatever you know hunting we were living on meat we were doing carnivore in the winter and more mixed diet in the spring and summer and fall so we'd always have some time every year where you would do the clean out and so if you on carnivore that tells the body yay we can clean out this mess from the plant months but now you're cleaning out the plant decades when you ate plants (laughs) for a couple decades and you're doing that big work. And when you eat the sweet potatoes, oh, it's suddenly fall again. So the body's like, oh, this isn't the time we can do this heavy clean out. We're going to just back off. So you can eat a half cup of sweet potato, do that one meal three days in a row. And that tells the body, hey, I can stop doing all this deep cleaning a little bit, like take the, the foot off the throttle and not go so fast on all this work and you'll feel better. So it's Mm. good that you're using sweet potatoes in small amounts because that's helping you not clear so heavily and feel so sick all the time. So adding a really strong cup of tea works for some people, you know, a pile of black olives in their omelet with a little bit of maybe some sauteed carrots or half cup of sweet potatoes, half cup of white potatoes. You know, those are good to add back into a carnivore diet. So is the carbs because... Some of us, we get the opposite response to the lack of carbs on a carnivore diet. You were able to sleep. Me, when I haven't had enough carbs, I'm awake. I can't fall asleep and oh, I can't stay first. asleep. <laughs> that happened first. Yeah, for a couple of weeks. Yeah, to and me, it's my brain going, what are you doing laying around? You need to go hunting. You need to go find some food. You haven't had enough carbohydrates. You need to go get some. So I feel like my brain is telling me, you're not going to sleep, baby, until you bring me some carbs. And so I cut a deal with it. If I'm awake two nights in a row, I will make rice. Or I'll have some pineapple or pineapple juice, some coconut water, whatever. I do find that my body likes it when I do have rice or do rice noodles. So I'll, I'll do that a few times a month or even, you know, once a week we'll have either rice noodle soup or I'll make this rice dish that's in my cookbook and we'll have rice for three days and then then I'm good. And usually my exercise is better. My energy is better. My sleep gets better. And that's really oxalate related, probably, because in order to make glucose and keep your blood sugar even and to make glycogen and keep all the sugar stores around that keeps your blood sugar even, you need all these enzymes to do that work. It's gluconeogenesis. Well, oxalate messes up the enzymes that make glucose. So, and there may be some kind of epigenetic sort of damage that's occurring growing up on all I grew up on bee greens and rhubarb which is another high oxalate food and and it liked my vegetables way too much I was an abnormal child and then I was a kind of a health nut from like kindergarten on and gardener and always liked to do homemade cooking even in college whenever I had a kitchen I always cooked all my own meals and made a lot of vegetables and then I was vegetarian then I was vegan you know so All of that um, probably created, maybe I was genetically prone to this, who knows, but created a sort of situation where zero carb is not going to work for me. 
I'll just end up sleepless and grumpy and tired if and crampy. I was also getting leg cramps that no amount of minerals, salt, potassium, magnesium, Me touching, but it, the carbs settle that all down. So and I think that's a glycogen storage problem as well. The leg cramps is not just about electrolytes based on real life experience. So carbs are not the enemy. We, human beings have been eating carbs forever. On, and with oxalate damage, you can't get away with the zero carb forever concept it, often. I mean, some people, because they have diabetes, insulin resistance, they have a little body fat on them and they're young or whatever, they, the sooner you know you have that, you need to correct that problem because sometimes insulin resistance and diabetes goes so far that even a proper like carnivore diet won't totally fix it. There's a lot of still mysteries about all these layers of stuff because it's a complicated intersection of all this environmental experience of what we've been eating and how we live with genetics. And how those intersect is infinitely complicated and we don't totally understand it. But yes, yeah, and carbs is a good idea for a lot of us. So, But I love the, ox, the carnivore approach because it gets a chance to eliminate the fiber and thousands of plant chemicals that could potentially be gut irritants for people who have now ruined their gut. Um, and so it's a very useful place to get. It's a form of an elimination diet and it feels good and you're eating enough protein and fat so that you're maintaining muscle and bone mass. Uh, so there's a lot of benefits to it, but it doesn't mean you have to like sign up for some prize badge that says you're a zero carb carnivore forever. It's, you really want to honor your experience, your body, listen to your body, and work your way towards what really works for you, and be good with your own independent way of taking care of yourself, and not feeling you need to do things just the way someone else says you should do it. Yes, for sure. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, when it comes to different symptoms, I mean, you mentioned a lot there, but do you mind running us through, you know, what the most common what? common ones are maybe some that are a bit more obscure that you wouldn't necessarily think about as being a result of oxalate poisoning right so let me just mention so i don't forget to mention this i do have something on my website called the symptoms and exposure inventory and it's a checklist of the kind of Perfect. symptoms that are common and a checklist of the high oxalate foods and you can look through that and kind of assess yourself and if you have more than like three or four symptoms you have this pattern we have multiple things going on like i met this woman who just cut my hair today last week and she told me when i met her that her shoulder was bothering her and i said do you have any other joints about she said yeah this and this I said, are you eating a lot of almonds? So, and then today I found out that, yeah, she's had kidney stones, she's had digestive problems, she's had back pain. She's had this complex of body pain, plus the kidney stones, plus the digestive problems. And that's an example of a common presentation where you've got aches and pains and weird stuff that doesn't resolve and it comes and goes and it's unpredictable, but it seems to generally never really get better. It might, it might not show up today, but it's just always coming and going and it continues to do that coming part too much over time it seems to be getting worse not better um, and so you get connective tissue disorders like that you can have really loose joints or really tight joints and tendons you can have this feeling of like tension in your connective tissue you can have sort of fibromyalgia where you've got 
sort of low oxygen delivery in muscles and muscle knots that bother you and you've got joint things and you've got fatigue and you've got bad sleep, these kind of complexes that go together. Migraines is another example and headaches is another example of one of these things that go along with all these autoimmune complexes and these modern weird syndromes. And there's more and more syndromes now than ever before. Syndromes involving loose joints, syndromes involving connective tissue problems, syndromes involving pain in the crotch and genitals and like all kinds of funky stuff that including calcifications so any syndrome that includes calcifications and joint pain or gum pain or mouth pain or connective tissue you know that's probably just a fancy name for one way that oxalate poisoning shows up so there's lots of weird names for these pain syndromes but if you have pelvic issues we have pain in the vulva or the genitals of any any genitals you could have that's something to be concerned about because the pelvis is an area where oxalates really are coming out through the kidneys and the bladder the urethra and the colon the rectum and the anus so the whole pelvic area if you have tension in the pelvic area that's probably an issue if you have nighttime arousals your bladder's probably getting irritated by too much oxalate constantly bothering the lining of the bladder. There's an immune system in the lining of the bladder that really gets sick of toxic nanocrystals. You know, this is just, it's like it starts to develop this sensitivity and like it's having a burning rash in your bladder and it's very painful for some people and it ruins their sleep and they start to become depressed because they're not sleeping well. Whatever you're peeing out, chances are there's a lot of oxalate in it. This is not helping you. <laughs> so urinary tract and, ble- and pelvic issues, bone issues, blood cell issues. I had low blood counts for a long, white blood counts were always on the low, very bottom end of the normal range for a long time. And they popped right back to normal after I got smart about eating oxalates. And that makes sense because your, your blood cells are made in the bone marrow and then they come out into the blood. And then they go off, like the white cells go off and do a job at some point. They mature into a certain kind of white cell that needs to handle a certain job. But they get born in bone marrow that might have oxalate in them. So they may already be not making enough of them or not making enough good ones or releasing them in an immature state before they're ready because of the oxalate effect on the marrow and the development of cells. And then you eat your sweet potatoes every morning for breakfast like I did, and you're ruining your circulating ones that seem to be okay, and they probably don't live as long. So between potentially slightly sluggish cell production and then shortening their lives because you've got too much oxalic acid in your bloodstream, you could see this in your blood cell counts as well. If you have high fibrosis and fibrotic disorders, you end up with scar tissue that doesn't go away, old injuries that don't get away, go away, and eventually you get fibrotic problems because oxalate is ruining this enzyme action. There's like four different enzymes that oxalate can sit right there on their active site and block the proper function of the enzyme. And that results in addition to the mitochondrial damage and the cell membrane damage and the inflammatory effect on the cell, all of those things gang up on cells and cells are unable to produce as much ATP energy as they need. And so they become an energy shortage in cells and so their ability to make proteins and build new baby cells slows down. And then your ability to 
heal tissues slows down. And so the body has to make more fibrosis, more scar, more connective tissue to hold you together. So if there's missing cells, because you're not producing enough of them in this tissue, then you need more collagen and connective tissue to kind of glue what is there together and you start turning fibrotic. And then you get these fibrotic chemicals, the immune system keeps producing these fibroblasts and so on, keeps producing signals that say make more, make more connective tissue and you start developing fibroids and things like that. So, I mean, we could go on and on with symptoms. So basically what oxalate is doing Ultimately, oxalic acid gets into cells and interferes with the cell's function at many levels, including the basic signaling molecule, which is a calcium ion. The cell organelles like the endoplasmic reticulum and the mitochondria will control calcium ions and put them out and take them back into the cell to tell the membrane and so on, oh, make me some of this, do me this, we gotta do this next. And it, it's supposed to be the messenger. But when you have oxalic acid in there, which is a calcium robbing chelator, you steal the messenger and now the cell doesn't even know what it's doing and it's doing it under conditions of oxidative stress. So that means that any dysfunction at all could be going on because oxalate's right down there in a cell messing up that cell. So there's no, like things that are off limits, like oxalate can cause whatever trouble it wants to cause, basically. Excellent. That makes everything very clear. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, if you, I mean, if, if symptoms are appearing after you go on a Syracuse diet, it's very likely that it's oxalates. But for someone who's just consistently eating a lot of oxalates, the best thing to do would be to just start cutting it out and see if it improves, I guess. Yes, yeah, so try to move back slowly and not run from yep. summer to winter really fast from a high oxalate diet to a low oxalate diet because it's such a strong change that it's very clear that something's changed in the food environment. Your body's reading mm. what you're eating. It's very clear that you've left summertime and you're in wintertime if you go to even, a, even with plants in the diet. If there's no oxalate, the body thinks, well, there's no oxalate, so now we can clean house. And you don't want to get it going too fast and furious if, unless you're a true adventurer and you like sudden naps, sudden stabs in the neck, sudden whatever. You could actually overstress your kidneys. If you're releasing old oxalate from your neck or your armpits, it's going back into the blood if it's not pushing out in the skin. And then it's got to go back through the kidneys again. So now the kidneys and the bladder have to handle it. So you could end up with nighttime arousal from your irritable bladder. You could end up with kidney pain or even a kidney stone if you were, you can retoxify yourself with old spinach and old sweet potatoes from long ago that are hanging around as crystal deposits in the body. And this is not known in medicine. So you can't run to the doctor, the emergency room and say, hey, I quit eating all my oxalates and now I've got a kidney stone, help, help. Oh, now I feel like I'm having a heart attack because the calcium in my blood is causing my heart to go, ooh, because you'll get these arrhythmias and other uh, twitches and tremors and hiccups and, and other irregularities because your electrolytes are off. Uh, oxalates are messing up your electrolyte control in and outside of cells. And you'll get these, you feel like you're having a heart attack and it'll fix itself because your body turns on hormones that dissolves your bones and tries to fix the acidity and bring back the calcium that's missing, which is why you eventually end up with osteopenia because you keep having to use, take, you know, withdrawals from the bones to make up for the lost calcium from eating oxalic acid. 
So there a lot of drama can occur and your doctor doesn't get it. So if you tell them, oh, no. give me some potassium, give me some salt, give me something, <laughs> they don't really get it. So that's the problem. We have to rely on the internet and this community of people who are doing this and developing expertise in this to help ourselves, unfortunately. And someday my hope is that the medical field, the dietetics field, and the holistic healing world will take this more seriously so we can educate them about what we do already know. What is, we don't even need to fund research. We can learn. We do want to fund lots of research and get more attention on this because it's very serious. Um, yeah. But we can do a lot for people with what we now know already. So is there any organ or tissue in the body that doesn't release oxalates once it's lodged in there? Or can we actually detoxify the whole body? Yeah, no, I think there is a lot of this that's not going to be, you're not going to go back to perfect. The ears are very alkaline and the inside of the eyes are very alkaline. And those are examples of tissues that really struggle to get rid of oxalate and maybe can't. And if you've converted your ear bones into oxalate crystals, we can't build you a new ear bone and give you your hearing back. Um, But we often can see tinnitus and other ear symptoms get better uh, because the magnesium stealing and the electrolyte loss that, or, you know, disturbances are temporary. And if we can keep getting enough minerals back in you, enough salt, magnesium, calcium, and so on, you can get a lot of relief and get improvements in hearing. I've, I've had clients tell me their cataracts went away completely. And many people tell me their vision is way better than it was. I found my night vision is much better. I was really starting to not like driving at night back 10 years ago when I, before I knew about this. And now I don't even think about whether it's night or not. So clearly it's not bothering me like it was. So even in these tissues that may not be able to release it fully and that take a long time, like the backbones are huge and bones can carry a lot of oxalate. So that could maybe take 20 years. And I really need my back to get better because oxalates for me, I have pits and holes in my spinal bones, especially in the lumbar spine. I have flattened discs that are popping up into these pits and holes that are kind of stuck and tight tight tolerances now where I get pain easily if I have inflammation if I'm allergic to something my back really bothers me I have arthritis in the facet joints I don't have good range of motion in my back and back pain is something I've had a long time and it's not necessarily a lot better now although I no longer feel a need to go to the chiropractor I no longer feel like if I make a wrong move in the garden, I'm not I'm going to be able to work for a month. That happened in the past. Now I feel like the back pain I do have is not going to cause me to not be able to put on my underwear, which it used to do. So even the lingering problems as I'm healing, hopefully healing my back, is uh, it's better. It's not, it's not me as a perfect newborn baby that's awesome. No, it's me that's got serious tissue damage from lifetime of eating too much oxalate. So while we're speaking about you, how is it going with the healing of your mitochondria? And do you know anything more in that field of research that you found out since we spoke last, which was about two years ago? You know, basically, I think of the mitochondria is, A, you need to be able to produce more mitochondria well. You need to be able to produce more cells well. And that is going well for me. I feel like they, I have improved my mitochondria. I keep 
looking muscular and, and good. And I think that's eating a lot of meat helps that and, and not eating constantly and not overdoing carbs all the time. All those things are good. I also do cold showers. I probably spend 45 minutes a week, maybe under cold running water. Today I did an ice bath and uh, I do saunas and hot yoga and all those things help you with mitochondrial support. And, but if you get the oxalates out of the way, so that gets better. But oftentimes I think about mitochondria like the wheel that has water running in it that turns the big rocks that grind flour in a mill, right? So there's this mill wheel where you have water running through it. And I think of the body's energy system like that wheel is rusty, right? It's really hard to push and you need to push a lot of water over it to kind of break up the rust and get it moving. And the water that we're pouring into this wheel that produces energy for us is the B vitamins. So, and sometimes it's B1. B1 is intimately related with oxalate problems. And I find for me, taking benfotamine, the like fat soluble, the quote fat soluble. It's a, it's a newly modified, it's a chemical that's only been available for like 25 years or something or 30 maybe. But um, these newer thiamins, really helpful with fatigue. With fatigue. <clears throat> and I, and I think, tend to think of the B vitamins generally as like more water, more water for the rusty wheels to keep these mitochondria working better. So all the enzymes that run these reactions in the mitochondria and just general cell energy, both glycolysis and the other stuff, that the B vitamins, and of course getting enough cofactors, which are the minerals. So nutrients help to keep, nutrients are like the water that helps driving the energy cycle in the cells. Cool. So now I would like to ask you a few specific ones before we are finishing. So I, I have so many things I wanted to ask you but one of the things was that I heard so I've heard both sides here some people are saying when you have high estrogen there is a correlation between that and the the amount of problems you get from oxalates and then I've seen someone else say that no it's when you have you know in postmenopausal women when your estrogen is dropping then you're going to have more problems so is there a correlation with sex hormones in general and the amount of problems that you're getting from consuming or releasing oxalates that you can tell us about the, the only area that i that i recall is covered in the medical research is the kidney stone literature and which makes sense because all the funding and all the talent and attention with oxalates and human bodies have gone to kidney stone research for the last 60 or 70 years. So that's the only way we think about it. But it's very obvious if you if you think about kidney stones, it used to be kidney stones was something that old guys got. It was a man's problem. Usually after 45 or 50 years old, old guys would get these kidney stones. But now more and more women and children and girls are getting kidney stones. So clearly it's really as much about how much oxalate we're eating. And you can get kidney, give yourself kidney stones earlier in life. And even as a female, I've known several women who are starting to get kidney stones in their teens. But still, we know that estrogen is protective against kidney stones for as a general rule. But some people, there's other factors way more important than your estrogen levels that affect whether you're the kind of person who gets kidney stones. So I would love to get into that a little bit more, but to just get back to the estrogen piece, when you get menopausal, 
and you're dumping oxalates, the chances of your dumping oxalates becoming kidney stones gets worse. So if you're in your 40s and 50s and you're a woman and you're dumping oxalates, you've got to think about how to protect your kidneys with citrates or lemon juice or these things that prevent this the oxalate that you're having to pee out from stoning up and becoming stuck as little rocks in your kidneys. Most people don't get that problem, but some people are genetically less able to make these proteins that the kidneys make to prevent you from getting kidney stones. So it's only, you know, 12 to maybe 20% of the population who fails to make enough of these proteins to prevent the stones. And the other thing is that citric acid in your urine is the most protective thing of all, the most very sort of predictive factor. If you have low citric acid in your urine, you are more likely to get kidney stones. That causes the clumping. The citric acid prevents the calcium oxalate from clumping into stones. And you get less citric acid in your urine if you let your metabolism be acidic. So if the metabolism goes down to a more neutral, like six and a half, seven percent, you know, seven pH, then you're gonna be able to, as a kidney, put out more citric acid into the urine and that will protect them from the stone process. So the oxalate clearing causes acidity. So when we're oxalate clearing or just generally gone low oxalate, we need to add in enough minerals and maybe citric acid in the form of you know, calcium citrate, magnesium citrate, potassium citrate. These are alkalizers. So is lemon and lemon juice and you can add potassium bicarbonate to lemon juice. And, and let it fizz and turn that into an alkalizing drink. So alkalinity helps you correct the pH in the body, which does a lot of great things, prevents you from getting metastasized cancers and all kinds of things your body prefers to have the right pH, but it helps the kidneys be able to release citrate from the cells and have enough citrate in the urine that you don't get kidney stones. So genetically, if you're the least bit prone to kidney stones, you need to be doing the lemon juice and the citrate supplements. And I think most of us need to do some degree of that, regardless of whether we're getting kidney stones or not, just because the whole body health depends on that. Very interesting. I tried to do the um, calcium citrate and I can do it for about a week and then my stomach is just hurting every time I eat it. So I'm not able to do any such things, but lemon juice works really good Did for me. Did you try potassium, I mean, um, magnesium citrate? Uh, yeah, that just sends me to the toilet. <laughs> but I haven't tried potassium yeah. citrate. <laughs> Did you ever try... You did try potassium citrate? No, that's the one I haven't tried. So that is the that is the thing that the doctor's supposed to prescribe if you've had a kidney stone because that prevents right. that helps with that alkalization so well. So with meals adding like 3 or 400 milligrams of potassium citrate with a meal for two meals a day can be uh, a pretty good help. And sometimes you need to go much, much higher than that, but usually that's a, a good help. And not everybody can tolerate those citrate supplements. So finding a form of mineral or form of potassium, of all of those minerals, you do need to replace minerals when you've had too much oxalate in the body because chances are that has caused mineral deficiency. And these supplements are safe, but not everybody can handle the citrates early on. And sometimes they don't for a while and later they do. And then they do for a while and later they don't. And then they do again. So if something isn't working for you now, definitely take a break from it. Come off of it gradually if you're up on a higher dose. And then someday later, 
try it in low dose here and there and see how it does. And at some point your body will be like, Ooh, I kind of like that now. And so you just, the body's not ready to handle it for now, but it doesn't mean that you'll always never handle that. So that sometimes people think, Oh, I tried that. That doesn't work. Well, it wasn't the right thing at the right time, but later on it might be just the right thing. So these tools that we often use to support the body in its attempt to clean you out and make you as best as it can, um, don't always work at certain times, but then they might later. Yeah, I tried it a couple of years ago, and I I didn't understand that that was what was causing my stomach pain. So I think that took me for like a month, and then I was like, oh, that's the only thing I've changed. And then I tried it again a few months ago, and I was like, no, still not. But I, I'm, I'm going to try the potassium and see if that works so another way to another way to help a person who's in that situation is to really emphasize mineral bathing and i have a mineral bath recipe that you get when you come to my group class so you know putting a big load of epsom salts in the tub with sea salt some potassium bicarbonate and maybe some baking soda and maybe a touch of boron borax so to speak just to get a nice cross-section of minerals that the body's really wanting and just soak in the tub every other day for start with a foot bath to see how your body tolerates that for 10 minutes and then if that's going really well and it seems to be fine and maybe even good then you can graduate to a whole body bath for like 10 minutes and then build up to 20. Some people really do well on the mineral baths and that sometimes is enough and children too sometimes you can't get them to do supplements or whatever but the mineral bath can help them. Not everybody needs a mineral bath, but mostly that's a really good tool. Uh, and anything that you can apply on the skin instead of using the gut as a delivery mechanism is nice. So you can yeah. still help the body get some of the minerals it needs through things like the mineral baths. Absolutely. I'm going to try that. Yeah, do let, thing, it, let me know how it goes. Yeah, will do. <laughs> the other thing... Um, I saw this actually quite recently. I haven't heard that one before, so that's why I wanted to bring that up with you. Is Someone told me, or they had made a post about it and explained that a mixture of bifidobacteria and lactobacillus salivarius, I think, would be able to heal the gut. And when we can heal the gut with the, by changing the gut flora, we wouldn't necessarily have the oxalate problem anymore. And I thought that sounded a little bit shady and almost like some sort of band-aid. So have you, do you know anything about that? So this is, this is a great fantasy that gets passed around. Everyone's convinced if you get the microbiomes, all the microbiomes. So we go through these phases as humans. It was all going to be oat fiber, and then it was going to be your genetics, and then it was going to be your this, and then it's going to be microbiome is like the thing now. And so people are really invested in the idea that the bacteria in our gut do it all, and you can heal the gut first. Well, you can't necessarily restore the gut to its happiness because you'll never really recreate the right population of bacteria because it takes tens of thousands of different varieties of things in the right places to be able to maintain this ecosystem. It's not about one, two, three, four, even 15 bacteria. It's about hundreds of thousands of them. <laughs> it's like yeah. you can't recreate that perfect ecosystem. Like you go out to outer space, go to Mars and try to create the Shenandoah forest or something. Good luck. You need so many different funguses in your soil, so many different minerals in your soil, so many different plants. And you're like, you're not going to create that with a supplement. 
Forget it. I think that's just like marketing. And it's wishful thinking because I don't want to think about oxalates because that doesn't fit my worldview. And, and so it's really, we've tried in medical research for the last 25, maybe even 45 years to develop a probiotic that will provide these oxalate degrading bacteria to solve the kidney stone problem. And there isn't a FDA approved drug or supplement that does this because it doesn't work. Because to support those bacteria that theoretically does that in a Petri dish, you need a whole ecosystem that has been messed up. And all of us in modern life have a messed up ecosystem. We're all using products every day, breathing air every day, touching things every day that cause this dysbiosis. And that's kind of a fact of life. And there's no way that even the perfect microbiome is going to save you from a poison. There is no poison on earth, mercury or whatever, that because you have a perfect microbiome, you'll never get sick from it. That just doesn't make any sense. And historically, people were getting very sick on high oxalate foods and even killing themselves on them. Hundreds of years ago, before we had these products, before we had hand sanitizers, before we had antibiotics, oxalate from foods was making people very sick. It was called a certain name in 1842, and it continued to be a problem long before we had antibiotics. So good luck to you. But people are free to make up these things, but they're misinforming the public and making giving people... Um, a skewed version of, and just really not being curious about, you know, if we're all eating eight or 10 times how much oxalate the body's designed to eat, some bacteria can't really save us from living outside our natural niche. It is not our niche to be acting like squirrels and rabbits and trying to live on nuts and chocolate. These are all brand new foods that we like that are popular culturally. Our era loves them, but it doesn't mean it's a good fit for us as a species. How much oxalates can one get away with per day? Well, the research from the kidney literature suggests that like, if the urine contains 25 milligrams of oxalate, that's your level right there. That's the cutoff. 25 or less is great. Anything more than that is high. And that half of that is coming from endogenous production from the liver and so on. So you're producing about 12 milligrams a day in the urine from just your metabolism. So there's room for another 12 or 13 milligrams of oxalate coming from your diet. If you have no leaky gut and you have perfect, perfect health, you'll only absorb 10 to 15% of the oxalate you eat, which translates to someone with really good gut health can have 120 to 130. Let's round it up and call it 150? Oh, let's round it up. Call it 200. Okay, so you can have 200 milligrams of oxalate in your daily meals and probably get away with that. The problem is, is that your spinach smoothie has 1,000 milligrams in it. And your chocolate has about 80. And your, you name it, whatever. It's really easy to get past that 200 mark. The normal diet is supposed to supposedly only containing 100 to 200 milligrams of oxalate, which would be well within our kidney capacity if we have a healthy gut. Now, if you have leaky gut, if you've had, if you've had a lot of antibiotics or if you've had um, bariatric surgery or have any kind of gut disorder, then probably the amount of oxalate you can tolerate goes down to 
50 milligrams a day, max, max. So so that's a low oxalate diet. (laughs) 50 below 60 is a low oxalate diet. A normal oxalate diet is 100 to 200, but most of us are eating like 500 and above. A lot of people who are into healthy foods like turmeric is another one we forgot to mention. If you're doing green juicing and doing buckwheat flour and using almond flour, you could be in the thousands of milligrams, which is 10 times what you're supposed to be eating or, you know, what you're built to handle. So no amount of bacteria can save us from almond flour and Reese's peanut butter cups. We were not designed for those foods. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Yeah. So depending on what your gut health is, adjust from there and just try to not overdo it, I would say. <laughs> so on that note, I know yeah. we're, we're running a bit short of time. Steak, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we're running a little bit short of time here. So before we finishing up, I would just, I'm just wondering if you can tell us a little bit about how you do your consultations, what these online groups are about, and how people can get in touch with you and work with you and what they can expect if they want to get help from you. Right. So I, the, hopefully the biggest help you're going to get is when my book comes out, which is called Toxic Superfoods. The publisher is going to release it in December. It's available for pre-order now. That covers soup to nuts. This whole issue is concisely and entertainingly as possible. It does not have the data in it. I'm going to have data available on my website. Initially, I'd hoped that, but the publisher decided it was too, too much for the book. So on my website, which is sallyknorton.com, there's a lot of pages there explaining all this, explains my backstory, explains about oxalates and the symptoms. There's a symptom and exposure inventory. There's a shop page where you can get my cookbook, which is a big PDF of recipes and techniques for how to cook food so it comes out right. And there you can also sign up to come to a group Zoom meeting, which are small meetings, usually less than 30 people if possible. Um, sometimes I let people sneak in, but <laughs> try to keep it small so you can meet some folks on it. It's a usually two hour long event, a little bit of conversation. I do a lesson on with PowerPoint slides and to show you some of the basic stuff. So you get some of the nuts and bolts. It's certainly not comprehensive because I would need eight hours to explain all this stuff. But yeah. then, you know, some discussion and it's a chance to meet other people, hear other people's stories and kind of plug into a little community that's forming. And there are several people who come to the group who share their emails and start supporting each other. So some people come back, back, back and have come more than 50 times, one woman in particular. Wow. And then some people just come two or three times. And if you come enough times and get good at this, I'm going to try to offer some other support so you, to help you teach other people. Uh, and you can get the beginner's guide on my website. You can find me on Instagram. I'm, I have two Instagram handles. One is SK Norton. And the newer one that's for the book is called Toxic Superfoods Oxalate Book. And you can find either one and you'll find the other one because I put them in the profile there. Initially, in, in March, I lost SK Norton to hackers. And they had it for 18 days and messed around with it and were telling people to invest in Bitcoin or stuff. Look, I, I don't do finance. If I, if I ever send you something about anything that's not oxalate or something related to nutrition, that's not me. <laughs> so the way you get around that is if you sign up on my email list through my website, I can email you and say, hey, somebody stole my account. So don't listen to SK Norton for a while till I figure out how to get it back. 
I don't think that's going to yeah. happen again, but it did teach me that I should remind people, please sign up on my email list. If you care about oxalates and want to know, I'm not too great about sending out emails, so you're not going to get a lot. I know you want me to tell you stuff every day, but it's nothing happening. But that's where <laughs> I will tell you, oh, new classes are available to sign up for, the book's coming out, some events coming out, new service, the products are like now the data is available. If you want to be notified of that stuff, then sign up on my email list. And if you want to know if someone's hacked my account, sign up for my email list. So that would be through SK Norton or SallyKNorton.com is the website. And the Instagram is SK Norton. <laughs> So come see me there. Yes. So for all of you who have questions oh, about oxalates, I guess this, to finish answering, I didn't quite finish answering the question. If you need a personal consult with me, it's limited. There's only so much of me to go around. You have to yeah. come to the group class first and get the basics and get my handouts. And, and so we can really dive in and get into the particulars of your situation. So I can kind of tease out what's going on and advise you in a very specific way. And you'll get a link to be able to schedule a consult if you attend a class. But there's usually a two-month wait period to get in my schedule. Yeah, so do it now. <laughs> thank you so much sally i really appreciate you taking the time to come back on my channel i love having you on your previous video is i think my second most popular one so that just speaks to how important it is to get this message out and how many people are actually worried about this so thank you so much for what you do and i'm looking forward to reading your book it's lovely to hear your story. Thank you for having me back. And it's nice to hear that people are learning about this. But please don't be afraid of this topic. Embrace it as like information you've been wanting to have. It's not a place to start freaking out. Uh, this is really serious. But take a deep breath. And, uh, you know, I'm not trying to scare people. <laughs> no, we're trying to help people. So go slow. We're trying to help it. people. There's a difference. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks for listening to the LCAL podcast. If you like the show and you want to support the show, you can do so by sharing it with anyone who you think may benefit from listening to it. Or if you're so inclined, you can make a donation over at PayPal or at Patreon, and you will find the links in the description. Have an awesome day. <laughs>